Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. In this edition, we're going to hear the story of one of this state's longest-serving premiers, a man who's uh, recently called it a day and uh, keen to hear what he's up to now and and also keen to hear some of his reflections uh, on a long uh, and very successful career in politics. Welcome, Colin Barnett. Uh, Thank you, Tim, and very pleased to be on the program. Yeah, thanks for your your time. We appreciate it. Firstly, how is retirement treating you? It's been a, a few months now. Have yeah, you settled I, in? Yeah, I left, uh, retired from state parliament in February, so it's been a few months. Um, getting used to it. Yeah. Um, practicing my hand at being a farmer and a few other things, but, uh, yeah, look, it, it's, it's a big change, but yeah. I'm at a, I'm at a stage where it was the right time to leave. And I look forward to whatever comes next. Don't know yet, but I look forward to it. Watch this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2J, the, the property there has been a, a hobby for some, some time. Are you going to be, uh, Putting more of your time and effort into uh, into things up there. Uh, yes, and Lynn and I are spending probably you know, a third or more of our time up yep. there now, and it's a nice time of the year. So we're doing things like getting fences fixed and um, painting the house, and yep. all these little jobs being done. So that's all that's all fun. But it's we're very lucky to have that. We've had the place for about fifteen years, and um, it's been a big part of our life. Yeah, uh, the, the the transition out. Obviously, politics one of those games that can be incredibly brutal. Um, you know, there's, I suppose, few occasions when someone uh, calls it a day after a, after a victory. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the, the history books show that uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty resounding loss in oh, the 2017 it, yeah. uh, election. Mm-hmm. Um, to step away from it and, and have that break now, has it been uh, an easy transition for you or have there been some times where you've, uh, you know, sort of struggled to come to terms with it at all? Uh, it was difficult at first, and most political careers, if you like, end in tears. Um, so I knew, always knew that was going to be the case, that um, I'd had a great run and mm. I was going to get beaten, and I was resoundingly beaten, no doubt about that, yep. which shows, I think, the volatility of politics. But look, I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s. Um, it was probably around time that I would have left. Um, so that's fairly easy to, to deal with. Uh, but it did make me think, Tim, about, you know, for example, um, celebrities, sporting stars or actors, singers and the like. And uh, if they're younger, when you go from a high profile position to nothing, uh, I can see how it can be so devastating. But yeah. as I say, I'm at an age where that's not a factor. You haven't mm-hmm. been annoying Lynn around the house too much? Uh, well, I have been, and uh, there's a bus stop outside our house, and Lynn suggested that if you don't find something to do soon, I'm going to pack a lunch for you, send you out the door at 8 a.m., you can sit on the bus step and come, bus stop and come back in at 5, so that's the threat. Well, what are you going to do? I suppose when you have a chance to sort of step away, have a clean break, you 
have to sort of take a good look at yourself and and and, and think about what your motivations are, your passions are, what you want to do uh, to fill your days. So have you have you come to any sort of uh, decision yet on on what you might do. I mean, obviously, two J is, is something that you're going to spend more time uh, working on. But uh, job wise, or you know, si- sitting on boards, advising, anything like that, take your fancy. Um, well, I, I don't ever want to work full time again, but yep. to work a few days a week would be good. So, you know, I hope I, I find something to do, whether it's to do with a not for profit group, um, maybe some sort of policy or board role. Yeah. Um, but I'll only do things that I think I can, can make a contribution to yep. and things that I'm genuinely interested in. But I, yeah, I hope to sort that out in the next few months. Mm. I'll start looking around. Would you write a book? Well, I've written one. It's not very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have, and I am sort of uh, going through putting another layer on that. I, I've written a bit of my story in, yeah. in, in politics and some of the events that have taken place. I've probably left out fairly... F- quite a few of the juicy things. Yeah, well, that's, so that's what we all want to read. Yeah, I know. So I, I, I'm going to sort <laughs> of write, I'm going to now write a sort of an overlay on some yeah. of the things that I did leave out because it talks about individuals and, yeah. and I've got to be a little bit careful there. But mm. yeah, look, I've, I've had an extraordinarily fortunate and lucky career. Yeah. I've been proud and pleased with what I've done. But uh, yeah, the last few months have been a bit tough. And, yeah. and I've got to say my sort of reputation and standing's taken a bit of a belting um, over the last few months and I've got to resurrect that. Yeah, well, we some do sometimes hear uh, Colin from Cottesloe ring into this station, so uh, keep it coming if you think that there are things you need to correct <laughs> that are said on this station anyway. Hey, can we go back to the, the, the very beginning, though? Um, you know, often you speak to uh, prime ministers and premiers and they, and they talk about, you know, having this desire, this passion, this dream of one day reaching that position, um, you know, from very early on uh, in their childhood. Was that the case for you? No, I was um, uh, always interested in sort of history and public affairs and the like, but not in politics mm. in the sense of you know, liberal versus labour. And it was really uh, into my 30s, uh, and I, uh, an economist by background, and I became the um, CEO of the Chamber of Commerce in Western Australia. And that sort of took me into the public arena and uh, media interviews yeah. and the like. And it seemed fairly natural that I would then probably progress into politics. Yeah. So it was an interest in that sense in my thirties. Yeah. Uh, as a young, I didn't. I went to university, but I didn't get involved in student guild politics, any of that. Okay. I was more interested in sport. What about you? What about your folks? Uh, well, my parents. Um, uh, they they lived in Dalkeith, and I know I'm going to say, well, they were rich. They weren't. Dad uh, and my mother bought the block of land during the Second World War. Uh, war service loan and a very modest house, but in a in a really nice part of the the city to live with. Mm. Uh, my father had been in the war; he was one of the rats of Tobruk and wounded at Al Alamein, and uh, and then fought in New Guinea. And my uncle, to whom I was extremely close, had been uh, captured at the fall of Singapore, and uh, uh, he was a prisoner on the Burma rail line and uh, all those you know the atrocities yeah. that took place. So that was a big influence on my early days. Is that um, where your your fascination with history? Yeah, probably. And growing up as a you know, young boy in the in the fifties and into the sixties, um, that Second World War was sort of ever present. My mm. father rarely talked about it. My uncle talked more about what had gone on, um, but it, it was there present. Um, you know, my father used to garden in his slouch hat, and his kit bag was now his fishing bag, and uh, mm. uh, it was just a, a very different time. And then, of course, when we went into the nineteen sixties. 
that was the ex, you know the exciting time. Um, David Brand, Charles Court, the development of the Pilbara, and suddenly mm. Western Australia came alive. So I, I, that sort of drew me more into the issues. And mm. um, if I went into politics, I always wanted to play a role in economic development. From yeah. I did I did have that view from a young age. And I suppose uh, no surprise that when you really got stuck into politics, uh, that was your area of expertise, wasn't it? Resources, economics, and education as well, I suppose. Yeah, look, I when I did go into politics, and uh, that was um, in 1990 when I was first elected, mm. uh, my ambition was very much uh, about the economic development of this state in particular, and I was very fortunate. I've basically been able to do that over a 25-year period, mm. and if I can say so, there there aren't many big projects in Western Australia, um, all throughout the state and including the city, that I haven't had some role in, whether it's a major role or a minor role. So I've, I've lived a, a part mm. of history. And along the way, by chance, I also became Education Minister, which is something I didn't really expect. But I did that for five years, and uh, that was a, a real bonus. I love that role. In, during that period in, mm. the, in, the, in the 90s, what mm. do you see as, uh, as some of your key achievements uh, in your pre-premier days? Well, um, not only my achievement. I mean, I know politicians yep. say I did this and I did that, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm guilty of that too, but a lot of people are involved. Uh, I think probably the biggest uh, thing that I was involved in, and I do, did play a major role, was essentially the, the deregulation of the gas industry. Mm. And it's sort of forgotten now, but that's now, after all, our biggest industry and you know the development of major LNG projects, Goldfields gas pipeline, uh, the use of gas in power generation. Mm. Uh, there was a whole host of projects, uh, and so that was a dream come true for me. I yep. That was what I set out to do, and um, I got to do it. And we're, and we're still seeing the effects of that today. Yeah, I mean, we've got a you know, massive industry now, and, and you know, more recently as Premier, I was able to be you know, with the Gorgon project. Of Wisconsin, so probably I think I played a pretty big mm. role in the development of the gas industry, which is the envy of Australia. Can I ask you about this uh, this this famous deal that never happened? I, I mean, deal proposed deal uh, between yourself and 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 Julie Bishop uh, and Richard Court back from the nineties. Because I, I, I think when you ask a, a different party involved in that uh, proposal, uh, you get a slightly different version. But uh, tell us from your end, um, how did that transpire? How was it going to transpire? Well, this it, deal for it, you to take. It, it, it the, wasn't the a deal from my. Care. It wasn't a deal from my point of view. Yeah. Um, I was the outsider. Mm. But um, I guess it, um, I'd been a minister, uh, Richard Court was Premier, and I was Deputy Liberal Leader um, from 93. And around about 96, 97, um, you know, there was talk about who would become a federal member for Curtin. Yep. And people spoke to me and, you know, suggested I might shift from state to federal politics. Um, Julie was around the Liberal Party and clearly had ambitions. And um, I remember she came to see me and um, and said, well, are you going to run for Curtin? At that stage, I had my dream job. And I said, I thought about it, um, and Lynn and I did discuss it. But I said, no, I'm, going, I'm, you know, I'm in government, I'm deputy leader, uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I'm not going to run. And Julie said, well, I will, and good luck. So um, Julie became the member for Curtin. Mm. Then I think the other uh, sort of scenario that perhaps um, you're getting to was when um, the Liberal Party and lost government in 2001 and... Uh, very strange situation. There was a, a group of prominent people in the Liberal Party, including Richard Cord, including Julie Bishop, who came up with this plan to that Julie was going to suddenly leave federal politics, mm. come into state politics, 
and I was apparently going to go into federal politics. Mm. Uh, problem is no one talked to me about that. Mm. And I wouldn't have done it in any case. So um, that was a kind of a distressing uh, and period. Did, did you find out about that essentially through media reports? I found out about it when uh, I think on the front page of the West Australian there was a headline, a woman to lead Liberal Party. I think that was it. And uh, my comment was I choked on my Wheaties and I did. Then I picked up, <laughs> then I picked up the paper and we said, my God, look at that. <laughs> what do you know? And, of course, that was a chaotic period and uh, yeah. uh, and it all fell apart. And, and I think people assumed that um, uh, I was going to, uh, you know, sort of just sort of swap over and that – but they didn't realise that, you know, part of that plan was that Richard Court was staying on in federal politics mm. uh, and that was all sort of forgotten. So – I found that a pretty distasteful episode and yeah. it was it made then I I did then become leader of the Liberal Party and leader of the opposition. That made those couple of years incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, and and your relationship with Richard Court. Oh look, Richard and I worked well together. Um I'd never say we were close friends, you know, we didn't sort of socialise together. But um, I think we led a, a good government and uh, we were a good comp. Mm. You know, I was probably more the economic guy and could sort out a lot of the complex contracts about resource projects and energy and all that sort of stuff. Richard was a far more competent and experienced politician. So it was a good combination. Do you still bump into him now? Uh, well, he's ambassador in Japan, but he wrote me a note uh, yeah. after the election. And uh, yeah, I mean, Richard and I get on well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I want to uh, get into more of these uh, political moments uh, after the break. We do have to take a break just at the moment, though. This is uh, Inspiring Stories. Uh, in this edition, we're speaking to uh, our most recent uh, Premier of WA, Colin Barnett. This is 882 6PR, back with more soon. Everyone has a story to tell, a life to celebrate. A funeral is a way of celebrating the life of a loved one, a meaningful way to say goodbye and to tell the story of their life. Bower and O'Day, generations of excellence. Call 9231 5199 or visit baraoday.com.au. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back to this edition of Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are speaking with Colin Barnett. Colin, can I ask you about some of the public perceptions uh, of you? Um, you know, you have been labelled uh, arrogant at times. People have referred to you as, uh, as the emperor. How do they sit with you? How do you respond that because I must say, people who who have worked directly with you, I, I must say, across the board, always say no, that is not the case. But unfortunately, well, there has been a perception. I think you, you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Well, if I can say so, Tim, I think the term arrogant has become a bit of a cliche in politics. Yeah, um, each everyone a pope labels their opponent as arrogant. Um, I, I think I'm a fairly serious person and I'm not the sort of political leader that's run around kissing babies and, uh, you know, being the, the light, entertaining chatter. Mm. Uh, that's not me. Um, uh, I believe that I have been decisive and if I've got an ability, it is to untangle and sort out complex situations. And when I became Premier, I made myself uh, some very clear promises, which I stated publicly, at, that I would you know, be a very pro-development um, that I'd make decisions, uh, that I would lead a government that was caring and compassionate for those in need, um, and I would give it my best shot. And I can at least look in the mirror and realise I gave it my best shot. But it's yeah. turbulent times. And I, you know, I kept on saying, and uh, I think the media would have heard it a million times, that you know, 
this is the, the, a critical decade for Western Australia, just like the 1960s with the growth of Japan, the post-war industrialisation of Japan. This decade that we've been through with the growth of modern China is just one of those rare moments and I was determined that we, Western Australia, would not miss it. And so people may have seen that as arrogant mm. because I did. I forced issues um, mm. and I expected you know, high performance from people around me. Well, but, just- I, but look, I, you, know, I just, I, uh, you mentioned uh, you know, things like the emperor. Um, uh, I found that. I thought that was funny yep. the first time I heard it. Uh, probably the 10th time I heard it, I thought, well, it's still a bit funny. But I think it got to the stage of being discourteous. Uh, and the thing I didn't like, even through the resounding defeat a year because ago. Because it became a cheap shot? Uh, I just found it discourteous, not so much to, to Colin, but to the position of Premier. Mm. And I think in the, in the election campaign too, I found ridicule uh, unacceptable. Mm. I don't mind criticism, um, all of that, but I think the ridicule and the, the repetitive comment, um, it didn't impress anyone. It mm. certainly, you know, we're, we're a big trading state, particularly with Asia. Um, it gives a really odd me- message out there mm. and people don't like it, don't appreciate it. So, but that was only after about 20 or 30 times of being called the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, I thought it was very funny. <laughs> your, your relationship with the media uh, during your time uh, as Premier, but also as opposition leader and just as a senior member of parliament uh, generally, uh, how, do you, how do you reckon you, you, you went generally with the media and did it change over that period? Um, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining I, yeah. you know, the, the, the emperor tag was probably really reinforced by certain sections of the media. Well, I spoke my mind, and um, my staff that work with me, and you know, it's a number of them worked with me for a long time. You know, they say you go on radio, and we never know what you're going to say, and, and mm. that was probably true. Um, I got to the point. I don't think I was a person that sort of did the the politician equivocal sort of answers. I answered questions straight and honest, yeah. um, and sometimes that caused controversy. Um, but I generally have a view that you get the media you deserve in politics and you get some good ones and some bad ones. Um, so I, I cop it. I always enjoyed doing media. Mm. A couple of times it got a bit tough. Uh, I think where I, where I probably take some exception was when elements of the media try to become part of the political process themselves. Yeah. And that happened a few times. You know, some yeah. of the examples we were talking about earlier mm. where the media actually became involved. I think that's... The media st- overstepping the mark. Yeah, yeah. I won't ask you mm. to name names. No. <laughs> you, you can put that in your book instead. Yeah, that's in it. The revised <laughs> edition of the book. Um, look, one of the um, one of the moments uh, that was uh, uh, captured on film uh, by, by TV crews there at the time that uh, I, I'm, I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on this and whether you reflect on it as being a mistake or not, but holding the, holding the hook uh, during the shark debate. Because uh, am I right in thinking that your media uh, team encouraged you not to, but you did it anyway? Well, I did it. Um, so I was probably uh, naive there, and a, a clever um, cameraman said, uh, "Oh, hold this up, will you?" So I thought, because well, we had to have that hook specially made yeah. uh, for a large shark. So I held it up, and uh, yeah, that was a mistake. But I guess that's um, that's the nature of myself. Mm. I say and do things, and uh, at that stage. Um, uh, you know, we'd had seven fatalities from shark attacks yep. in three years and a huge divide in the community. But, yeah, that look, that wasn't the most astute media moment and mm. uh, I had a few of those along the way. Any others that, uh, that, that spring to mind? Oh, there's another one way back in um, the 2001 election when... Um, Is this the, the costing of the, the canal coming down from the Kimberley? Uh, well, I was going to talk about a, a, a 
debate, I think, in um, in Six Power Studios between myself and Alan Carpenter oh, yes. over education. Yes. And uh, at the end of it, I, I was pretty angry with Alan. And he, Alan and I got on pretty well. He had actually. a crack at you for, for sending your son to a private school, correct? He did. And you know, my son uh, was having, you know, he's finding school to be pretty tough at that stage. Uh, he was only in year two or year three. He was a very little boy. And uh, so we took that decision. Um, the other boys all went to government schools and, you know, through primary school. And I'm a product of the government school system. But he needed a bit of extra help. And the school, the private school could do that. And mm. it did do it. So, you know, that had been pretty stressful, particularly for Lynn. And Alan brought that into the debate. And I just had a rolled up piece of paper and I tapped him on the shoulder and just said, don't ever bring my child into public debate again. And I think Alan regretted it. Yeah. And the irony was people, you know, Alan and I actually got on pretty well. Yeah. And uh, I remember, um, you know, so it became an issue and fair yep. enough, you know, yep. probably not smart politics. But I remember in a but couple do, of- do you think those moments, though, where you get that raw emotion out of a, out of a politician, though, I, th- I think a lot of people respect that. Well, I hope so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and I think that, that should happen. I think people get very tired of sort of the measly mouth sort of Yeah, the non-answer answer. Talk, yeah, and, and uh, that's just never been my nature. So it gets me into trouble a little bit, but mm. um, I think that's what people want. Funny thing about that issue was um, the election was only a few days later and uh, in my electorate, Cottesloe, the Claremont polling booth, I, I turned up there during the rounds about three o'clock in the afternoon and there was a couple of people handing out Labor how to vote and they came up to me and said, I just want to apologise on behalf of the Labor Party for what happened and we've been out here, we're not voting Liberal, we're Labor, but we're now packing up and going home. Is that right? Yeah, so it... it, so it it affected people in lots of ways. Yeah. And and I'm sure Alan today, you know, would regret that. Mm. But to me, there are some boundaries and you do not bring um, family members into public debate. And, and I'm not having a go at Alan in mm. that. I think it was just, you know, it was a heated debate and mm. he sort of spat it out and it was a mistake and my mistake. But I, that's one area I've drawn the line and I, mm. I certainly played politics hard. Mm. It's a tough game. Mm. Um, but I draw the line at... Family members. Well, that, and that's sort of why I was asking you about uh, your relationship with the media, not just yours, but mm. the relationship between media and, and politics generally, because um, it has changed so much the media landscape. Um, you know, this desire, this uh, this constant news cycle, updating, digging, uh, various platforms that you can kind of, uh, uh, I suppose, um, you know, publish things that you might not expect to, to see published, say, on a uh, on a six o'clock news, for instance, um, the private lives of politicians now don't seem quite so private. Uh, no, they're not. Although, as I've always said to new members of parliament on both sides, uh, recognise that if you go into politics and become a member of parliament, uh, you are a public figure 24 mm. 7. Your f- husband, your wife, they're not. Your children aren't. Uh, but you are. Don't ever say this is private time. That's there is nothing, and I think you've got to understand and accept yeah. that. And you know, we saw an example recently. You know, Tim Hammond, good yeah. man, um, stepped down from Perth because for him that balance wasn't acceptable for his family. That's mm. pretty rare. But you can't hide and say, "Oh, you know, that's private." I'd never accept that. Mm. But I, as I say, on others, I do draw the line quite ruthlessly. Because you've had to deal with a bit of uh, publicity around uh, around your son Sam as well. Yep. Um, was that was that a massive intrusion for you? The fact that he was uh, brought into commentary around you as premier, and then you know, you know what I mean? It, it, uh, did sure. that cross the line for you? Uh, well, Sam got himself into you know a couple of 
difficult situations, <laughs> as you know, a lot of boys in their 20s, yeah. early 20s well, can tend Steve to do. Steve Brax had a similar thing in Victoria, didn't he, with a couple of yeah. different incidents yeah. with, with his son. But that, I remember the, the debate over there at the time. Yeah, look, I, we just felt a bit concerned for Sam that um, because his father was Premier, it attracted attention onto him, hmm. excessive attention. And... Uh, and I think that made a difficulty for him, but he's grown up mm. through all that now and doing well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, has it been it, it, it tough for him and, and, and tough for your wife, Lynn, being married to or, 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 or son to the Premier of the state? Uh, I think, look, it's, um, yeah, look, I think it is tough. And, and you know, he became centre of attention on for various things. I mean, he's not perfect. He's mm. accountable for a fair bit. Uh, Lynn's always been, you know, wonderful supporter to me in politics, but we've always been very balanced about it and uh, we've had no misapprehensions about the life and it finishes. Sometimes people have described us as being private. I don't think that is the case. I just don't think we're out there sort of flaunting ourselves or our family and uh, it's just not our style. Mm -hmm. All right. Plenty more to get through. Colin Barnett is our special guest in this edition of WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You planned your wedding, your holidays and your retirement. Perhaps it's time you planned your funeral too. With step-by-step instructions, Bower and O'Day's simple-to-use online funeral planner makes it easy, providing options along the way and a cost estimate at each stage. Bower and O'Day, generations of excellence. Call 9231-5199 or visit bowerodey.com.au. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Colin Barnett. Colin, I've got to ask you about uh, your time with, uh, with, with Troy Boswell. <laughs> Some interesting moments uh, over the years. Are you still in touch with Troy? Uh, look, I haven't spoken to Troy for you know, probably twelve months or so. But yeah. um, uh, Troy, uh, a real tragedy in many respects. Uh, one of the most talented people I've ever worked with, um, and I think during the first term of our government, and Troy was treasurer. Um, he was a real strength mm. of the government. A great debater, very popular guy, um, larrikin, all of those sorts of things. But um, he had a flaw, mm. and that came through. And then he was very unwell. So. Um, I wouldn't use the word scandal, but that was probably the only really difficult issue that I had to deal with in terms of yeah. a senior member of government. Um, and, you know, I still regard Troy as a friend and um, and I think people, people you know, it was impossible not to like Troy. He yeah. was uh, just one of those people. A lovable people. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, women loved him. Uh, I, don't, I mean that in a proper way. Particularly older women, they thought, oh, he's such a naughty boy, that Troy. But they all loved him and he could, you know, talk, yeah. talk his way out of anything. Oh, my, but my great, folks great, looked down at his, uh, yeah. what was his electorate. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, right to close to the end, uh, they would always say that he was still very popular down there, particularly yeah. with the, the people you described. Absolutely. So huge talent and just, I don't think people realise that, uh, you know, when it all came to an end for Troy, uh, how ill and how vulnerable he was. Yeah. And I think the the thing that upset me, apart from Troy's own well-being, was the way that uh, in state parliament he was uh, just being attacked quite viciously and repetitively mm. by the other side of politics. Uh, and I think it was a, a lack of understanding of his mental condition at that time, mm. and he was in a serious state. 
um, that was disappointing. Can we go, can we go back to a, a decade or so ago? You were ready to retire. Well, I was going to leave politics. You yeah. were going to sorry, yeah. yeah, retire from politics, yeah, <laughs> from public life uh, as as you knew it anyway. Mm. Um, tell us how that turnaround came about, because I think at the time Troy Buswell was many people's uh, tip to, to to take the reins. Well, Troy was um, a Liberal leader and um, an opposition leader at the time. And, yeah, our, um, our next Premier, possibly. Well, he was, he was yeah, and uh, would have been in for a chance with, yeah. without all the, the calamity that happened around him. And when the incident with the car crash and uh, obviously had too much to drink, but even going back further, the, the, the chair sniffing incident uh, uh, yeah, was, but, was around about then, wasn't it? Uh, about 10, yes, ten or so years ago, oh seven, oh eight. Yeah, maybe. yeah, that was the, the yeah the brass snapping and the chest. I mean, it was a colourful, <laughs> colourful story. <laughs> uh, you know, it had its sort of you know humour, but it was yeah. unacceptable in public office. And um, with the, the chair sniffing in particular, and uh, Lynn and I were up at our little farm and. I'd already made the decision to leave politics and mm. was going to do so. At the, what were you going to do? Uh, well, I was probably going to be involved with one of the universities, yeah. um, you know, at least half-time and then do some other things. So that had all been pretty well worked out. Uh, Troy rang me and said, I, you know, I've got to res- step down. You're going to have to come back as leader. Um, I said, well, think about it, Troy. You know, I encouraged him to stay. I said, don't make any decision. Ring me back tomorrow. He rang back tomorrow, you know, the Sunday morning, I think, first thing, and said, no, I'm leaving. Haven't changed my mind. Um, so I thought, oh, well, that all happened. Um, mm. And uh, a candidate, Deidre Wilmot, had already been endorsed to take my place in Cottesloe, so that was yep. difficult. And she was your you know, former chief of staff. Yeah, a very outstanding person. Mm. And uh, so there was a you know, whole series of issues there. Um, I came back in and uh, took on the leadership. I gave ourselves, it was six months out from when the election was meant to be, the, in, uh, it was meant to be in 2009. Uh, I thought we probably had a 40% chance at best, and I thought, well, I might as well have a go and see what happens. And I remember uh, when you're in opposition, you tend to run down your wardrobe a fair bit. <laughs> and I hadn't sort of bought new suits, and I and I thought, oh, I'm leader of the opposition again now. I better go and buy a new suit. And I uh, always bought my suits uh, from a store, Marquise, in, uh, in Northbridge. And uh, I was in there choosing between two suits, and it came over the radio that Alan Carper had called a snap election. So I said, oh, mate, You were in there buying a new suit at the yeah, time. Yeah, I said, so I'll take both of them. <laughs> and uh, it I just, was going to say something about the Emperor's new clothes then, but I won't. Yeah, but. well, and it was, uh, you know, that decision of Alan Carpenter was a, a mistake, but the other big mistake was that by calling the snap election, it coincided with the Beijing Olympics. Yep. And the Liberal Party didn't have any money, um, but it was no point advertising because everyone was focused on the Olympics, and that also offended people. And it, as a campaigner, it was... Everything went right for me. The ball just mm. bounced my way, and I think for Alan, everything went wrong. Mm. And uh, we had a, you know, we won ten seats off Labor, and uh, then uh, four years later, held all those and won another five. I mean, there's mm. that volatility. So it was an extraordinary event, extraordinary yeah. political event. Mm. Uh, that uh, that period though must have been a very tense week there, where you had to uh, win the support of uh, of Brendan Grills and the Nationals. Uh, look, I think I. Yes, it was. It was frustrating. I always believed that the National Party would go with the Liberal Party. There well, been... they, had, they had to, didn't yeah, they? Why I mean, did it take so long? Well, I think that was probably... well, It must have been the longest week of your life. Brendan, yeah, it was a little bit long. And uh, Brendan's a very defiant uh, individual, and uh, I think he was trying to sort of make his place. But there would have been uh, uproar in the National Party, and uh, some of the, a couple of the uh, National Party members of Parliament came to see me in my office and said, well... 
you know, if Brendan goes that way, the party will split. Mm. Because he said, you know, a couple of them said, we will go with you and the Liberals. So uh, that was eventually Brendan had the, the choice. Mm. If he didn't go with the Liberal Party, the National Party was going to split down the middle. Mm. Mm. Um, all right, so that, that first turn then uh, with you as Premier, how do you reflect on those on those years, your first term? Uh, well, they were they were the the best years, um, and I, sound, perhaps this does sound arrogant. I'd always believe that when I went into politics, I would get to be premier. Yep. And uh, you know, it was, it was a fluky thing that it happened the way it did. Uh, we got elected in that campaign. Uh, it coincided almost to the day with the global financial crisis, and Western Australia was incredibly exposed to that as a, an export economy. Um, uh, so there was a lot of activity. Uh, the uh, one of the major nickel project at Ravensorp closed overnight and uh, there was real panic in the community uh, and financially. And we got out and made decisions and got on with it and I think we had a incredibly well-performing government mm. over that first term. Troy was in full flight. Um, you know, Brendan, despite the, the difficulties of coming together, I thought he did an outstanding job in regional areas. Um, Liz Constable in education and, and so on. Um, and you know, that was a period of enormous expansion for... For Western Australia, mm. uh, and then uh, the, the election that followed, twenty thirteen, um, you almost could have done it without the without the support of the national. We, we could have we could have governed you, as a liberal in, in party your own right. Yes, we could yeah. have done that. Was that tempting at all? No, it wasn't, and it was really. really we always governed. Uh, Richard Court had the same situation in nineteen ninety six. We could have governed as a liberal government then, mm. so I didn't consider that. But um, we had lost. Uh, you know, some of our best performers, you know, Troy had gone um, or, or went through that period. Um, Norman Moore, who was, you know, not my closest friend in politics, but was a good minds minister, he had stepped down. Liz Constable had gone. Uh, Christian Port had gone into federal politics. So, you know, it's like taking your centre-half forward and your full forward mm. out of the team. Mm. And I, I think that started to show. Um, and then inevitably time catches up with you. There were issues like sharks, uh, local government and so on. And... Uh, uh, and then, yeah, we'd won 15 seats and they all went at the last election with a couple more. So, mm. But I I still think um, during, uh, during that eight years, you know, the West Australian economy grew by 40%. We had a major expansion. Our population yep. went up by nearly half a million yep. people. Yep. Uh, the second term, probably more noticeable for um, big advances in the city of Perth. Um, the hospital projects all came together. So, yep. um, yeah, I still think good term. Yeah. It, well, mm. it was mm. a, a period of great expansion, but mm. uh, the, the question that uh, that, have, that people have asked of you is, did you spend too much? So I'm going to ask you that uh, after our break. We do have to take a break here. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. More with our special guest, Colin Barnett, right after this. A funeral is a way of celebrating the life of a loved one, a meaningful way to say goodbye and to tell the story of their life, which is why... When you plan a prepaid funeral with Bower and O'Day, we provide a free Your Story booklet to help you tell your story. Bower and O'Day, generations of excellence. Call 9231-5199 or visit bowerodey.com.au. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Bower and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. 
And welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories with our special guest in this edition, Colin Barnett. Uh, Colin, some people, when reflecting on your uh, your time as Premier and your, your recent years uh, in politics, you know, around about the time that you decided to call it a day, one of the things that people did say to you uh, about you was that you spent too much. When the, when the money was rolling in, you spent too much. Yeah, look, I, I can accept that. Um, yep. That's a criticism. However, it's, it's one that comes in hindsight, yep. which is very easy to do. And I guess in my defence, I would say that when I became Premier, we had the global financial crisis. And that certainly was the most severe financial disruption since the depression of the 1930s, without any doubt. Uh, what probably saved Australia was the banks were in good shape. And uh, then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd guaranteed bank deposits. Mm. Otherwise, we would have had something like happened in the United States and in Europe. And indeed, you know, in many of the countries uh, in the UK, uh, sorry, in Europe, and many of the states, um, sort of the, you know, the prairie type states in the US are still suffering from that. Um, they haven't got out of it. Mm. Uh, Australia got through that pretty well. So we were aggressive in spending um, in that period. But uh, also... You know, we had nine sort of financial years in government. Uh, For the first six of those, we had strong budget surpluses, uh, even with that spending. Uh, When iron ore prices in particular collapsed, um, that was a loss of revenue, and we could deal with that. Um, I never expected iron ore prices to stay at those record highs. Didn't expect them to fall as much. What could not be coped with was at the same time, the GST share fell to Mm. 30 cents in the dollar. And... You know, the, the Labor government now is experiencing the same thing. You know, last financial year we had, um, you know, around $3 billion taken out of the West Australian budget. That forced us into deficit, and it's the reason that Mark McGowan's had two deficits in his first two years. How do you same think he, reason. How do you think he's going? Oh, well, he's doing okay. He's working hard. He's working hard, but I think he needs to look forward and not look back. Mm. Um, in terms of, uh, of, of clawing our way back out of that... Uh that debt and deficit, um, is he on the right path in your opinion? Uh, well, I think I, I would like to see uh, a little bit more vision as to the future um, mm. and I think Mark's got himself into this negative mode. Um, that can happen. Uh, just cutting back things, um, you know, I guess you can do that. But um, the, the, the GST issue, you know, West Australians understand it well and they're angry about it. Um, I think I've won the argument, you know, for, after arguing it since 2009. Um, no one's really saying the system works now, but it's been a huge penalty. No state has been treated like that mm. in the, over 100 years of federation. And uh, I think it's the wild card in the next federal election. People are angry and they'll vote accordingly. Do you and still it, think it's the main reason why you lost the last election? Uh, look, it, um, yes, the major factor was, uh, I think to the public it was portrayed that we had been Reckless, some might believe that today. I don't think it was, but yes, on reflection, if we had perfect knowledge, we wouldn't have probably had done as many projects. Well, uh, but well, I think I think people, it was, you know, and that's politics. I think it was portrayed that somehow money had been lost, yeah, um, and there'd been scandals. You know, the Longerland inquiry was in search of a scandal that couldn't be found because there wasn't one, and uh, the money wasn't lost. It was invested in hospitals, in port developments, a whole range of things, but. To take that GST, that three to four billion dollars out, meant that we were forced into a situation, as the government today is, of actually borrowing to pay salaries for police and teachers and nurses, mm. uh, and that is shameful. And, and federal members of parliament and the successive governments in Canberra should be absolutely ashamed of that.
In, in hindsight, and it is a wonderful mm. thing, are there, are there any particular projects you think we could have done without uh, that were part of that overspend? Are there any that you, in hindsight, maybe wouldn't have gone ahead with? Well, I think that the hospital projects, and they were, you know, Fiona Stanley, Fiona Stanley Country Hospital, yeah, the Children's, Children's hospital, hospital, the Midland Hospital, you know, that basically rebuilt the hospital system right across Western Australia. So I don't think people would say that. Uh, I know there'd be a section of the population saying, well, you didn't need to build a stadium or you didn't need to do Elizabeth Quay or sink the rail line. But um, one of the funny things, Tim, is um, uh, in decision-making, I guess, sometimes it's little personal experiences that actually make the point. And early on in my time as Premier, there'd been a, a Council of Australian Governments, a COAG meeting in Brisbane. Lynn and I actually got married in Brisbane 30-odd years ago and hadn't been back. And seeing what had changed in Brisbane over that period... Um, and then flying out of Brisbane and looking down on the city, uh, I just came to the sudden realisation that Perth was falling well, well behind mm. other Australian cities and I was going to change it. Yep. And we came back and we made the decision on Elizabeth Quay, we made the decision to sink the rail line. Um, we delayed the stadium for two years um, and used some of the proceeds of the so-called mining boom to build the children's hospital uh, and then went back to the stadium. And Perth has changed forever. Does it does it irk you a little bit that uh, that these are now being opened um, now that your time is done? You don't get to cut the ribbon. I mean, uh, honestly, oh, look, does it does it annoy you? Oh, well, I wouldn't be human if I didn't you know, <laughs> feel, feel a bit sort of hard. Oh, but look, that that happens in politics. Uh, you know, when I first became premier, the the arena was open and it had been started under a Labor government. So. Uh, I guess I wouldn't have mind a little bit more acknowledgement in a couple of cases. Not of me personally, but you know, the yeah. children's hospital was. Okay, I'll say this. I mean, the children's hospital was built by a Liberal government, uh, and the Labor government fixed up the plumbing. I mean, mm. that's the way it worked out. Mm. But at the end of the day, the delay was regrettable, but it's a fantastic hospital. But look, I, I think people just expect that in politics. And and at the end of the day, to get a third term with four year terms is not impossible. So, Tim, um, you know, I've been leader or deputy leader of the Liberal Party in every election from 1993 to 2017. So I've had a lot of good luck and been able to do all sorts of wonderful things and meet yeah. and great experiences, meet extraordinary people. Um, I don't know that we're going to see long-term mm. leadership positions like that again. Is it because people just have this disposable mentality now? Yeah, and we've seen that federally. Um, I mean, you had, yeah. fi- you had five prime ministers that you dealt with just during your term as Premier. Counting Kevin Rudd twice, yeah. yeah. And, uh, fi- and, and I just found it um, extraordinary that the political process in Canberra just thought you could remove an elected and serving prime minister. It happened to Kevin Rudd and it happened to Tony Abbott. Now, uh, you know, that, that's not a good look for Australia. And uh, I well remember when um, um, Kevin Rudd... Uh, sort of resigned as foreign minister when he was in New York and part of that turmoil between he and Julie, uh, um, Julia. 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 Uh, <laughs> escape me, yeah. Uh, I was actually in a meeting with uh, the Singaporean prime minister in Singapore and it came out over the news just before the meeting and he just spent half an hour rolling around laughing. Couldn't believe that, you know, this was going on in Australian politics. Mm. Extraordinary sort of stuff. So I hope that we get more stability, and I would hope that the position, not Minister of the but the position of Prime Minister and Premier is better respected, and I would love to see Western Australia take greater pride in itself. Um, I'm not a sort of secessionist-type breakaway. I'm an Australian first, but I think we are just being swallowed up and subsumed in this mm. state, um, and uh, you know, that's what I'd... If I had any advice to Mark McGowan, he's not going to listen to me, but it would be show the pride in the state 
uh, don't let us just get swallowed up and become just like another little South Australia or Tasmania. All right. Well, apart from uh, from making some noise, it, I mean, what can you do? I mean, you can you can make all the commentary you like in the in the public arena, but it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of difference. Do you have to lay down threats? Well, what do you have to do? Well, I think there's um, there's you know there's potentially a financial risk of the, the current situation in the federation, but. Look, the public, uh, I think now, is probably totally confused. If we were to walk out onto onto the street and ask people who um, runs the schools, mm. I think half the people would probably say, well, the federal government does. Mm. And yet 70% of kids go to a government school and about 80% of the funding is state government. Who runs mm. the hospitals? Again, I even had a, a, a large company say, who's looking at a big project the other day say to me, well, well, who who, do the, who runs the who owns the ports? Mm. And you know, I think for good, you know, say so I would be asserting ourselves. And, and why have we got this? Is one of my hobby horses. You know, why don't we rename all of our national parks as to what they really are? State parks. Mm. One of the biggest parks and most visited parks in the United States is Niagara Falls. It's a state park, mm. and yet we call them national parks. They're totally funded by state governments. So I think we just reassert ourselves: education, health, planning policing, law and order, they are all state functions. And yet I think the public out there has got no idea who does what. Secession by stealth. Let's well, do it. Well, <laughs> a bit of pride, a bit of self-determination and yeah. reassert ourselves in Asia and internationally because we are the trading part of the Australian economy. Well, I don't think you'll find anyone who would argue with that. Colin Burnett, it's been fascinating hearing your thoughts on the last uh, almost three decades of, of public life. And, and before that too, we thank you for your time. Thank you, Tim. I've enjoyed it and uh, all the best to your listeners and uh, Nice to come into the studio. Yeah. I don't do that Good very often. We'll hopefully see you uh, in the public arena again very soon. Thanks again. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. Excellence is doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Perhaps that's why Western Australian families have been trusting in Bower and O'Day, the West Australian funeral company, since 1888. Depending on them for their excellent service and commitment and a level of understanding that can only come with five generations of experience. Bower and O'Day, generations of excellence. Call 9231-5199 or visit bowraoday.com.au. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.